James also. They're all coming to Ganeshpuri. So welcome everybody. I'm quite excited about tonight's program. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, if you've been coming here, you know that uh, my favorite thing <coughs> is our the great beings, the great realizers, uh, everyone with um, a spiritual story, uh, a story of triumphing over limitation, like the Buddha's story, a beautiful story of the Buddha and uh, his attainment of enlightenment. And the Buddha and, uh, is not alone. Many, many thousands of great beings uh, both male and female, have attained the goal, the inner self, sometimes called samadhi, sometimes called satori, sometimes called enlightenment, sometimes called self-realization. Uh, whatever you want to call it, it's, the, it's the, att uh, the attainment of something that's within every person. <clears throat> and um, we have to walk the spiritual path. We have to meditate. We have to start to look to the self uh, to understand that and to grow in that. But it's something that's there. Uh, we can mess around. Uh, according to the Hindu philosophy that you have many lifetimes, Christianity is much tougher. You have to get it all right in one lifetime or you burn forever. Uh, it seems to me that that God who created that world is pretty mean. Uh, considering, considering that uh, life is very difficult. Have you noticed that? So many challenges, so many difficulties, and to get it right, so many husbands and wives, <laughs> so many divorces, <clears throat> so many lawyers making money on divorces. <laughs> So many things that to get it right in one life is really more than any reasonable deity could ask. And so in Hinduism, they say you have uh, something like 86,000 lifetimes, <laughs> which is more like it, especially the people I know. <laughs> anyway, 86,000 lifetimes. Um, but so we admire those who have attained the goal. And now as we sit here, we become aware that there is a path, there is a way, and there is a goal. 
and that we, we start to meet those beings who walk the path and who have attained the goal. Uh, and so I celebrate these great beings um, at these programs, because to me they're, they're the great uh, uh, hidden resources of humanity. And tonight, um, one of the greatest ones from the 20th century, and that is the great Sai Baba of Shirdi. <coughs> Sai Baba of Shirdi. There are not very many photographs of Sai Baba, um, but this is one of very few. This is the iconic pose in his temple in Shirdi. Shirdi is a, a, well, used to be a small town, now becoming quite a city because of his presence, uh, about uh, 200 kilometers from Ganeshpuri in Maharashtra. <clears throat> so it's a real pilgrimage center. And th there's a statue in marble, which is based on this pose of Sai Baba there, where he's buried. What else do we have? There he is uh, walking with devotees. And uh, do we have others? One more? What's that? It? That's it, okay. <clears throat> so tonight we're going to hear about Sai Baba of Shirdi. <clears throat> now, in the Nityananda Arti that we did at the beginning of the program, there are three main references to three great saints. There, of course, Bhagavan Nityananda, whose Mortya statue is there, and who's the guru of my guru, who's the resident deity of Ganeshpuri in India. Um, and then there's Shirdi Sai Baba, who you've met just now. And the third one is Akalkot Swami. <clears throat> and there he is, a doer-looking fellow, isn't he? You know, this, photo, this is a photograph. I think it's been doctored immensely. But originally, the story goes that, that the, um, the Kodak company uh, sent out, <laughs> I don't know how true it is, but in the 19th century sent out uh, some photographer to take picture of outstanding people in India. And they came to this area and they tell, said, this man is our most outstanding man. And they took the photograph of Akhokot Swami, and there it is. Um, <clears throat> Baba, Baba used to have a big picture of him, and he said he had, uh, he was, I forgot what the word is, but, what? Ajani Bahu, which means his hands reached down below his knees. Very long arm, that's a very auspicious <clears throat> sign for the NBA, um, NBA, it's a sign for the NBA, and it's, a lot of NBA players are probably great saints. <laughs> long, long reach. Uh, so, but these three, okay, these three have a lot in common, these three beings mentioned in the, that arte, that chant. <clears throat> They're each avadutes, which means highly unconventional beings. I think you could tell by the picture that these are highly, you wouldn't meet them, uh, you know, at where? On a bus, probably. In India, you might. <laughs> um, each of them 
had very obscure personal histories. They came from somewhere unknown and arrived in the village in Maharashtra uh, and lived the rest of their lives in that village. And in each of those three villages, there's a samadhi shrine where they're buried. And that's become the center of the town. People visit that because they're alive with spiritual energy. <coughs> uh, and these three villages are pilgrimage sites. Akal <clears throat> Swami, the last one you saw, is the earliest. His main period was the late 19th century. Sai Baba, who's our subject tonight, was next. His main period was early 20th century. He died in 1918. And of course, Bhagwan Nityananda uh, is from the middle of the 20th century, he died in 1961. <clears throat> and um, taking my cue from the Nityananda Arti, I've given Vani the assignment uh, one day to write a book called Three Villages <clears throat> about these three great beings and to visit all them. And uh, uh, she and Yogi Sri and uh, Anjali and Stuart <clears throat> uh, visited Akalkot a few years ago. That's way out in eastern Maharashtra. I've never been there. I've been to Shirdi several times but I've never been to Akokot, and I'm so jealous a bit. <clears throat> uh, so, one day we may all go to Akokot. That's esoteric, that's really off the map, isn't it? <laughs> but um, <clears throat> in the forthcoming series, um, Real Housewives of Akokot, <laughs> you'll <laughs> you'll get a, a greater picture of the town. <clears throat> um, if you go to India, you'll see Sai Baba's picture everywhere. Um, he's in restaurants, on the dashboard of almost every taxi that you take. Uh, he's enormously famous in India. He's practically <clears throat> unknown outside of India. But uh, like the unknown soldier, he's famous in India. Uh, he's considered a miracle worker. People pray to him for health, wealth, marriage, children, everything you can imagine. Um, there are temples to him all over India. Uh, even in uh, Bhagwan Nityananda's backyard. We visited, last time we were there, we visited uh, a temple in Akroli, which is the next town up the river from Ganeshpuri. And there's a massive temple to, uh, to Shirdi Sai Baba there. Not only that, there's a, an amazing little temple here in Mordialik, about 30 minutes from this ashram. Uh, <clears throat> and it's uh, suitably in an unlikely and strange place right next to the railroad tracks. And the trains clutter by, you can hear them every few minutes. Um, <clears throat> but the thing about it is that it's full of Shakti. And you go in there, and if you have your Shakti meter turned on, it's got a lot of Shakti. And apart from this ashram, there aren't many, too many places uh, in Melbourne where you can feel the divine Shakti unless you carry it around yourself. Um, but that Sai Temple is one of them. 
<clears throat> one of the unusual features of Sai Baba is that he was a figure like Kabir, the great poet saint, who transcends the division between Hindu and Muslim. Uh, he, has he had devotees of both faiths and both groups. Baba did also. Baba had both uh, Hindu and Muslim devotees, Baba Muktananda. <clears throat> and uh, both groups claimed him for their own. No one really knows whether he was born a Hindu or a Muslim. Some say he had a Brahmin birth, but was educated by a Sufi practitioner. Others say he was born a Muslim and that he had a Hindu guru, but something like that. <clears throat> and surely he lived in a dilapidated mosque, but he taught many Hindu practices. Uh, one thing he was, he was a great devotee of his guru, and he stressed the importance of the guru in spiritual life. This is his famous quotation on his guru. He said, <clears throat> for 12 years I waited on my guru, who was peerless and loving. How can I describe his love for me? When he was in Dhyana Vasta, the, absorbed in deep meditation, similar to when Baba said, uh, Bhagavan Nityananda would be in Shambhavi Mudra. <clears throat> uh, I sat and gazed at him. We were both filled with bliss. <clears throat> I cared not to turn my eye upon anything else. Night and day, I poured upon his face with an ardor of love that banished hunger and thirst. Uh, this guru, mysterious figure, they, some say his name was Venkusha, uh, from a town called Selo, which is in Maharashtra, but bless you, no one knows. <clears throat> Does that mean it's true if you sneezed? Never mind. Sometimes when you sneeze, it means whatever you said is true. And do you know that one? <clears throat> That's New York Street. <clears throat> Along with the crocodiles and the subway system. He goes on, the guru's absence, even for a second, made me restless. I meditated on nothing but the guru and had no goal, no object other than the guru. Unceasingly, I fixed my, upon him. Unceasingly, my mind was fixed upon him. Wonderful indeed was the art of my guru. I wanted nothing but the guru and wanted nothing but this intense, he wanted nothing but this intense love for me. Uh, he always protected me by his glance. By his grace, I attained my present state. <clears throat> Reminds me very much of Baba in his spiritual autobiography, where he practiced Guru Bhav, or oneness with his guru. And there's a science behind it. It's not simply idol worship or hero worship or cultic worship. Uh, it's by focusing on the figure of the guru, the divine energy comes through. It's not the individuality, the personality of the guru, that's the point, it's the divine power that comes through. <clears throat> Sai Baba was born around 1840, give or take a decade. No one knows his birth name. Uh, <clears throat> eventually he left his guru and traveled around India coming to Shirdi between 1850 and 1860. And he lived under a tree there, a neem tree eventually moved to the mosque I mentioned. 
uh, and he lived there till he died in 1918. The villagers, not knowing his name, gave him the name Sai Baba, which means Holy Father, or something like that, uh, Holy Being. <clears throat> he was vague about his origins. I mean, he didn't say, you know, I came from this place and that. He said, I am attributeless, absolute nirguna, nirguna. I have no name, no residence. I am formless. <clears throat> he would also would say, I live in Shirdi and everywhere. My age is lakhs of years. That means thousands and thousands of years. My business is to give blessings. All things are mine. I give everything to everyone. I'm in Gangapur, Pandapur, and all places. I'm in every bit of the globe. All the universe is in me. So he was either crazy or highly realized. <clears throat> Initially, most villages, well, see, in India, they have a context. So they thought, this is a great being. This is a holy being. Uh, they thought of him as a wild yogi. He acted strangely. He would yell at people uh, and sometimes he'd go around muttering to himself. Um, he usually stayed by himself, but sometimes he'd sing devotional songs and dance in ecstasy with bells tied to his ankles. <clears throat> we have some ashramites who do this. <laughs> the part about muttering to themselves. <clears throat> um, with Sai Baba, as with Bhagwan Nityananda, it's sometimes difficult to separate fact from fiction. There's so many miracles. Um, now, Sai Baba encouraged mutual tolerance between uh, the religions, saying, all gods are one. There's no difference between a Hindu and a Mohammedan. Uh, mosque and temple are the same. But he did oppose conversion from one faith to the other. When he met a recent convert from Hinduism to Islam, he slapped him on the cheek and said, ah, you've changed your father. Uh, so, um, but now, by a great and lucky stroke, we recently found video footage of Sai Baba, relevant to what I'm talking about. And in this video, you're going to see Sai Baba being worshipped in the temple, and uh, a, uh, a uh, Muslim gets very upset by it, yells out, and there's a clash between uh, the Muslims and the Hindus, and then Sai Baba calms them all down and says that the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Koran are one, God is only one, then they become very calm and worshipful. So it's very remarkable that we have this uh, footage, and we'll play that now. So enjoy this. It's not in English, but you'll get the gist of it. <clears throat> Devalenga, Machravegaka, Devu Matagura, Machi, Mamali, Mosam Chestara, 
ఇంకొక సారి ఇక్కడ హిందూ సాంప్రదాయ పద్ధతిలో పూజలు చేశారా మీ తలాకాయలు లేచిపోతాయి నోటికొచ్చేటల్లా మాట్లాడకు ఆవేశ నీ ఒక్కటితే కాదు మూర్ఖమైన అజ్ఞానంతో మహమ్మదీయ సంప్రదాయానికి విరుద్ధంగా ప్రవర్తించకు భగవంతుడు సర్వాకారుడు నిరాకారుడు ఏ రూపంలోనైనా ధ్యానించవచ్చు ఏ పద్ధతిలోనైనా పూజింపవచ్చు ఖురాన్ బైబుల్ భగవద్గీత ఈ మూడు పవిత్ర గ్రంథాల సారాంశము ఒక్కటే అందరి దేవుడు ఒక్కడే ఇవన్నీ చేస్తున్నది వీళ్లే అయినా చేయిస్తున్నది ఇతనే అన్నమాట అంతం చేయాల్సింది వీళ్లనే కాదు వీళ్ళ దేవుణ్ణి <laughs> Later on, he got Shaktipat from Sai Baba, and he was transformed. <laughs> One thing the three Abhidus of the three villages had in common is they didn't do formal programs. They didn't give talks or write poetry or ubangas, as they're called. Uh, whatever teachings we have of them were written down or remembered by devotees. Uh, who were there. Of course, we have a body of Bhagavan Nityananda's uh, teachings because of a devotee, Tulsi Amma, who wrote down things that he said. We're very grateful for that. And in a similar way, Suri Nagama uh, had the same function around uh, Ramana Maharshi. She would write about what happened there, and so we have a very good record. And then Mahendranath Gupta uh, M., wrote everything that happened around Sri Ramakrishna, so we have a very good record of that. But unfortunately, <clears throat> there's no similar body of teachings about Sai Baba. But there are stories uh, that he told and a number of anecdotes. What we have <coughs> pardon, in abundance are miracle story, stories, as we do for um, Bhagavan Nityananda. And uh, I have to say, it's my failing, but I have something in the aversion to miracle stories, although I'm working on it with my therapist. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, Sai Baba occasionally expounded on verses from the Bhagavad Gita, but in general, uh, there were no formal teachings. He was once asked why he didn't preach to crowds. And it's reported that he said, how do you know that I don't? Does preaching consist in mounting a platform and haranguing the people around? Preaching is a simple communication of knowledge and can be done in silence, too. What do you think of a man listening to a harangue for an hour and going away without being impressed by it so to, as to change his life? <clears throat> Compare him with another who sits in a holy presence and leaves after some time with his outlook on life totally changed. Which is better, to preach loudly without effect or to sit silently sending forth intuitive force to act on others? And of course, what he's talking about there 
is Shaktipat, or the transmission of divine energy from the guru to disciple. And this transmission takes place by the presence of a great being, uh, and it's the essential characteristic of a great being that there is this transmission. Where there's no transmission, uh, but only intellectual knowledge, you have a professor and not a, a guru. <clears throat> he always emphasized the importance of the guru. One devotee asked Sai Baba if he should leave Shirdi, as one of the stories, and Baba said, yes. <clears throat> the devotee said, where should I go? And, and Baba often spoke in this kind of enigmatic way, you know, strange language. He said, go high, go very high. <clears throat> there are many paths to go there. There is a way also from here. You can go there from here. However, the path is very difficult, full of tigers and wolves. The devotee said, what if I take a guide? And Sai Baba said, then there's no difficulty. The guide will take you straight to your destination, avoiding wolves, tigers, and ditches on the way. If there's no guide, there's danger of getting lost in the jungle or falling into ditches. So <clears throat> Sai Baba valued the relationship with the guru as the highest and best sadhana. He said the path of knowledge and the path of devotion are equally valid. Ramana said that too. But the path of knowledge is more difficult and you could easily fall from it. On the other hand, the path of devotion is delightful, and as long as you stay in relationship with the guru, a fall is not possible. <clears throat> so he taught in this unique way, aphorisms and uh, strange enigmatic statements, and it was hard for his disciples to say exactly what his teachings were. In some sense, he taught, like Bhagavan Nityananda, in silence and just radiated Shakti. Bhagavan Nityananda too was just this presence. You came into it and you felt a transforming, a transforming power. <coughs> and um, those who sat with Bhagavan Nityananda and with Sai Baba could feel this uplifting presence, uh, which taught them. It taught them more than any kind of uh, exercises or practices could do it, taught them from inside. Sai Baba himself said, realization flashed upon me of itself without effort or study purely by the Guru's grace. The Guru's grace is our only sadhana, our only practice. <clears throat> from that grace, wisdom comes naturally. He told one disciple, just as when you're in a car, you just follow the road and concern yourself with careful driving. You don't have to think about your destination because you'll inevitably get there. In the same way, no special effort is needed to try and get the experience of the one. With steady sadhana and the company of the guru, that experience will come about naturally. You know, when I was, uh, before I met Baba, I was with Haridas Baba. And I was very keen. I'd just come from America, and I was hot on the trail of yoga. 
And Haridas taught a bunch of practices, uh, physical postures and especially breathing techniques and cleansing things. And I was really keen and avid. And all the people around him were like that. They were all out of their skulls trying to do more and more. And then when I got to Baba, the atmosphere affected me in a strange way. I started losing my desire to do all these things. And I thought, something's wrong with me. I've got, what, are the, what is it? Um, fibromyalgia, I thought. <clears throat> so, um, but then I realized that, that something else was happening, that I suddenly saw that in his presence, it was just a ride. I just had to sit and ride. He used to say, it's um, moksha deluxe. It's like being on a bus, and you just, the bus takes you there. As long as you just hang in there and, and do what's in front of you every day, do your meditation, do your practice. And my, my desire for all these practices started to fade away, and yet the inner fire burned brighter, and the, and the, and the experiences started coming you know, in great profusion. <clears throat> if you go to the, um, oh, Sai Baba said, look to me and I will look to you. Trust in the guru fully. That is my only sadhana. <clears throat> my guru, after depriving me of everything, asked me for two pice. <clears throat> I gave them to him. Pice uh, are a very small coin. Uh, what is it, 16 pice to a rupee? Is that right? They don't even have them, but they're tiny, like hardly anything. A rupee's worth how much now? Five cents? No. Two a rupee's worth two cents? Seriously? <laughs> so anyway, pice is worth nothing back then. So he says, give me two pice. I gave it to him. He didn't want metallic gifts like metal, coins. What he asked for was faith, shraddha, and patience, and cheerful endurance, saburi. Shraddha and saburi. If you go to the Sai Baba temple in Mordialk, you'll see the sign. These two words, shraddha and saburi, are written up there above the altar. <clears throat> They're the only two qualities that a guru bhakta needs to have. Uh, and such a, such a one sits happily at his guru's feet thinking, I don't have to go anywhere else for anything. Everything is here. So that's, that's what uh, I had that experience when, um, when I was, uh, when Ramdas, who had been my original mentor, he came to visit Baba and we were talking and he said, oh, he says, this place is fierce. So much discipline, so much transformation. If you stay here, a few months, you'll be totally transformed. And at that moment, I, un I knew that I was never going to leave. I thought, that's a weird attitude. I'm not going to do that. I'm totally here, just being in this present. I'm never going to leave it. Now, it turned out that I was sent away and that I didn't stay in Baba's physical presence. But I stayed in the, in the presence of his energy. And I saw that that was uh, the way this, what Sai Baba is talking about. He says, such a one sits happily at his guru's feet. <clears throat> he doesn't think, when will I receive something? When will I attain something? 
because he knows that simply being in satsang with the guru is the attainment and the goal. And whatever's supposed to happen will happen. It's coming down the conveyor belt. It's all coming down the, coming down the river. And you just sit there and you wait for it. <clears throat> Sai Baba considered subordinate, but see, you need you need Shraddha, which is faith. You need to have the belief that that's so. See, my I used to believe in my spiritual efforts, and then it shifted. So I saw that I had faith in the Guru's grace, the Guru's presence, and so that was the faith. And then you need Saburi. Sai Baba considered Saburi to be more than patience. It's actually courage. And it overcame dejection and fear and the spiritual illness of restlessness. This parallels the quality of, in yoga, tiktiksha, they call it, or patient endurance that's in all Patanjali in the yogic texts. <clears throat> he would tell seekers who were impatient for realization, he'd say, and a lot of the guys that were there with me, <clears throat> the women less so, they were more, in, just happy to be with Baba, but the guys was like, when will I change something? <clears throat> and he would tell them, wait five years and see what happens. You can't eat a loaf of bread in one bite. <clears throat> so this is uh, Saburi, because even if you're not doing anything but sitting in that presence, in the Shakti, a lot of stuff happens. You have to have a lot of endurance a lot of strength to hang in there. Otherwise, it'll blow you away. The winds of change, the winds of ignorance blow you away. You have to be very steady in that. And when Ramdas said that to me, I resolved to just stay in that, whatever happened. And some very, very difficult things happened. Um, but I don't regret any, any moment of it. You have to stay in that. <clears throat> so I thought we could we could meditate. This is Sai Baba's method, and I realize it's really Baba's method. Baba was a great yogi. I mean a great yogi, a super great yogi. He practiced every path, and he did it all, did all the Hatha yoga, and he uh, pranayama, everything. <clears throat> and, uh, but when he got to Bhagavan Nityananda, Bhagavan Nityananda blew him away with Shaktipat, and he got this immense infusion of energy and grace that he didn't know even existed. Uh, and then after that, he just focused his attention on the guru. And he talks about that in his autobiography, a great chapter called My Method of Meditation. He meditates on the, the, the form of his guru, and, and because of that, so many things happen to him. So I thought we could meditate on Saburi, and then we'll meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> and I'll give you a little guided meditation on Saburi. So close your eyes and sit and imagine yourself being in the gracious flow of the Shakti of the Guru. <clears throat> if you don't have a connection with the Guru, just think of it as the principle of grace in the universe, God's grace, the divine grace, the presence of the divine, of the higher power. 
as they say in AA, however you conceive it. <clears throat> and uh, contemplate what it takes to hold you in that place. It takes endurance because there's so many ways you can lose connection with that through desire, through despair, through getting your feelings hurt, through being insulted, through all kinds of ways. So you're sitting there very strong and you're there. Say to yourself, I will sit in this stream of grace no matter what obstacles arise whether inside or outside, whether things come outside to challenge us or stuff comes up from our own deep, hidden unconscious. And you know, this is parallel to an episode from the Buddha's life. The Buddhists call it Buddha's resolve. It said that when he sat down under the tree to meditate, he said something to the effect um, my bones might crack, <laughs> my blood may run cold, uh, I may even die sitting here, but I'm not going to leave this seat until I attain supreme enlightenment. So much resolve he had just to sit in that presence and be there. So you're sitting, uh, feel yourself now a powerful yogi, full of uh, desire for the self, for the truth, for love, for God, for consciousness, sitting strong and determined. Nothing can shake you from the path. Nothing. As you sit powerfully in this stream of shakti, all obstacles fall away, whatever they are. And there's nothing but you and the stream of grace flowing from the divine, from the guru, from the self. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And you can begin by meditating in this way and then do your usual meditation. But we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakunat Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes.